Welcome back to the Wild Side News. And now, Sydney Wildsmith. Momentum. It has a force of its own. It's hard to create momentum, but once started, it's hard to stop it. It's taken 40 or so years to bring the Earth to a point where we are uniting our knowledge and now our forces to fix this planet. To keep it building, all it takes is for each of us to add our help. It's beginning to roll. It will involve us all. You'll see. In just a moment, we learn how faith-based communities are adding their spin to the emerging future. When your voice of the earth continues, here on the Wild Side News. It's been interesting to see the change in what is now being referred to as the faith-based communities. In the U.S., the faith-based communities, often associated with the fundamentalist conservative Christian movement, found themselves allied with conservative politics, which has been increasingly undoing historic conservation principles in favor of corporate interests over the past 20 years. But as the pervasive effects of environmental degradation reach even into the small towns of Wyoming, Kentucky, Tennessee, Louisiana, typically strongholds of conservative Christian values, people from all faiths are seeing the wrong of the destruction of what is, to them, more than to many, God's creation. We continue to bring you this emerging story on the Wild Side News, and today we add a fascinating new player in the global effort to restore the earth in partnership now with faith-based communities around the world. We're in 2008. It's a year of change. That certainly is being evidenced by what uh, it seems as if the populists in their voting is saying these days, and everybody seems to want to get on that wagon. And you know what? That's a really good thing. And change is happening all over the planet, and it certainly is time. Change is happening in the environmental community as well. One of the areas that I find really fascinating is the emergence of the faith-based communities and the ways in which they have come to join the environmental effort for a lot of different reasons and, in many cases, a very personal thing. One of the organizations that really is addressing this is one of my absolute all-time favorite conservation groups, and that is Conservation International, who work around the world, really work, to uh, implement changes literally on the ground with communities and ecosystems. And joining us now from the nation's capital is Ben Campbell, who's the director of the Faith-Based Initiative for Conservation International. Ben, welcome to the Wild Side News. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. First of all, we always have new listeners. I'd like to invite you to give a brief overview of Conservation International and the work that you do. Well, Conservation International is a 20-year-old organization. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary last year. And the way that we work is we've focused a lot of our priorities on what are called 34 hotspots, as well as wilderness areas and key biodiversity areas. The hotspot concept is an attractive one in so much as it is a very small area of the Earth. Matter of fact, it represents 2.4% of the planet Earth itself. However, in it, it contains 60% of all biodiversity and 75% of all endangered species. So it allows us to prioritize our funding in a way that many other organizations can't. The other attractive feature of that is it is a hotspot primarily because it's been reduced to about 30% of its original habitat. Now, I say that because it also represents an area where there's a disproportionate 
number of the world's poor. So it is a hot spot in so many different ways. The fact that it also happens to be tropical could lead some to believe it's we, we chose it because of its uh, tropical nature and uh, being a hotspot because of that. But um, it is a wonderful opportunity that we are given to address both the areas with the, have the highest level of richness in terms of numbers of species, as well as the people who are most in need. And it is CI's mission to f- find ways which uh, humans and conservation and biodiversity and all the richness that is this world can live together in harmony. And that's not the most articulate way of uh, phrasing our mission statement, but it is more or less what we do. Well, I appreciate the upfront work that you do to identify these very critical areas based on real science and many different factors, and then basically focus on that. I think it's just a one of the most efficient and effective ways to to really make a difference. And you and you are. And at another time, we'll be talking about that in depth. I always love to talk about Conservation International. You're uh, heading up the faith-based initiative, and that means many things to many different people. Why don't you tell us what you feel your mission is? Well, the faith-based initiative is more or less an acknowledgement that uh, when you look at the people who are on the ground, many of them adhere to a very strong faith. I think the case was made for our CEO, Peter Seligman, in looking just at the Christians who happen to live in the areas where we consider them a uh, priority for conservation purposes, and looking at the fact that we weren't reaching them from a a core element of who they were. I mean, here in the West, we very commonly compartmentalize our beliefs with our activities, and especially because we live in a country like the United States that has a separation of church and state, we often think the rest of the world operates along a similar paradigm. The reality is, though, for many people, their faith, their religion, is part and parcel of how they view the world and how they act upon it. And unless we interpret how that plays into conservation, we're missing a key element of of society. And more importantly, we have to acknowledge the role of religions in mobilizing their believers. Now, with the war on terror, we oftentimes look upon that in the negative sense, but we forget the very positive sense that religions have played an instrumental role in shaping our society. I mean, we watch films like Amazing Grace and are impressed by Wilberforce's strong role in his lifelong commitment to things like slavery and abolishing that heinous uh, act of slavery. I think it's very wise and fair and, quite honestly, progressive to take into consideration the human element, which is really where so many people live, embracing their faith or their spirituality, their, their, their religion, their relationship to the earth, and very often in remote parts of the world, it's truly very direct, their relationship with the earth. And so I, I applaud you for, for being intelligent and, and wise to, to really address that. And I'd be curious how it is that, that you then translate your mission into the field. How is it that you then take that message and help people in, these, in the various hot spots and other areas that you're focused on? How do you work in the field? Well, that's interesting because, I mean, as you pointed out in your own description of us, we're a very science-led organization, and I am blessed, to use a faith-based term, uh, to be able to sit in this office and be surrounded by some of the leading scientists in the conservation community. However, that is just one way of framing and understanding the, the issue. So what CI tries to do is it tries to make its science and economics and its policy and its years of experience in working with conservation much more acceptable to people on the ground. The way we do that is Conservation International works very closely with many of our partners. We have over a 1,000 partners that work with us on the ground, most of these being local NGOs, national NGOs, and many other names I'm sure you'll recognize. 
in the case of the faith-based community, we look for leaders who are already interested in, or maybe at least open to talking to us about how the religious faith relates to the environment. And we look for the ways of partnering with them. We don't claim to speak as experts in religious authority. I would never consider myself a theologian. I consider myself a believer, and in that sense, I can understand where the believers come from. And in in that way, we, we look for people who are leaders and mobilizers of their own communities. And then we help them by helping them refine their alternatives and opportunities to work together. The best way of actually doing that is probably to give you just a couple examples of how we've worked in the past. In Indonesia, we work with Islamic scholars to adapt what are what's called the Hima and Harim, which land and water management techniques that come out of the Hadith, which are, according to the World Conservation Union, the oldest land management system on the planet Earth. And what we've done is we recognize that these traditional land management techniques come out of a Middle Eastern society, and we've worked with the Indonesian Islamic scholars to faithfully adapt those to an Indonesian context. Using what is a deeply ingrained belief of the Muslims in Indonesia, we've been able to pilot this program with schools, with a number of uh, Muslim leaders and councils, and we've been working with them to to use it as a way of uh, protecting key watersheds and forests where the Indonesians live. Indonesia is a very interesting part of the world where so much is happening. I know that one of your main areas of focus personally, because you are a forester, you're trained as a forester, you're a real science guy, uh, and you work a lot with the forests, and that is a major topic on the planet right now. Tell us how conservation is working in that realm, particularly as it relates now to, to trying to preserve and restore forests uh, using the carbon markets, which a lot of people just don't grasp. Conservation International is one of the lead agencies working on what's called the Climate, Community, and Biodiversity Alliance. What this is is a group of agencies. It's uh, conservation groups as well as uh, industry players, commercial businesses. Uh, Warehouser, for example, is one of the organizations involved. Uh, research institutions, the Hamburg Institute, for example, is involved. We have also some technical advice and guidance from many of the international research institutions like um, C4, which is uh, a center for international forestry. Um, they provide a lot of technical advice on how to do this. We've also been able to bring many of the development groups on board. Uh, right now, CARE is a member of the CCBA. And the hopes of this is acknowledging the fact that uh, the carbon markets are growing. We want to ensure that the, it's not just focused exclusively on a strategy that, that is concerned about uh, climate and emissions. Because I think we'll miss an opportunity to get multiple benefits out of those those uh, markets. And I say that because, I mean, many people are focused on climate change as a key topic and it's very important, and that's not to underestimate our need to respond. However, the decisions we make now are critical because they'll have ramifications not just for us, but for our children and for the poor of the world. The CCBA, the Climate, Community, and Biodiversity Alliance, is an attempt to broaden that to make sure that any work we do in in the carbon offset markets also benefits the community in terms of poverty alleviation, but also helps to to maintain and rebuild critical ecosystems for biodiversity. So by the capturing of this one market, this carbon offset market, we're hoping to gain multiple benefits out of it. And the CCBA has set up a series of standards that have key criteria and indicators 
that anybody who wants to apply this methodology in a forest-based carbon offset market can do so uh, at the program level and do it in a way that makes sure that any project has all three key elements. One, it reduces emissions through uh, avoiding deforestation and also replanting of trees that absorb carbon uh, through their uh, evaporation and transpiration. Two, that the communities are actively involved in the program and can see a real benefit from it. And that's a key thing. They're actually benefiting. Otherwise, you could have a climate program that basically planted fast-growing non-native species, kicking people off their land because it might be economically profitable to do so, and growing whatever. But the community doesn't benefit except for a few jobs. And then finally, a key to Conservation International as well, is that we work to try to rehabilitate and to maintain these key ecosystems and all the benefits that come from those, not just the woolly and fully species that we like to protect, but also all the key things that come from a good, healthy ecosystem, its ability to withstand storms, its ability to provide uh, a key watershed and water for people who live downstream from it, the ability to, to provide fruit, fiber, food uh, for uh people who live much closer to, the, to nature than those of us who happen to shop at Whole Foods. All these things come into play so that in one program you get all these benefits at once. And to make sure that you're measuring it and holding yourself accountable as well while you're implementing these programs. So many people are, are really trying to do the right thing. But as you say, unfortunately, in, in the effort of trying to do this the right thing from the, the great big industrialized countries, we may be insensitive to these people who um, maybe their, their entire forest ecology begins to be changed from a kind of a natural, sustainable community to a, a monoculture crop to support uh, fast-growing trees that will help to diminish the carbon footprint in the, in the planet. We very much want to make sure that much of what is done now in addressing climate change is done to ensure that that everyone benefits from it. Yes, climate change is taking place. Yes, the the worst-case scenarios sound incredibly dire. But at the same time, I think we can seize upon an opportunity and we can harness the markets to do it, to try to build a much more just and equitable system. One of the things that CI has oftentimes prided itself on is to work to establish new models of doing things. And we don't claim to do it all ourselves. I mean, the problems are so big that an organization, even like CI, cannot do it all itself. What we hope to do is demonstrate ways of which things can be done and to find good partners who are willing to try and experiment and to develop these things so that we can frame policy and we can frame models for the future that others can lock onto. We'll make the investment. We'll make the mistakes. and We'll admit those have been made in the past. But it's very important that at this initial outset that we be daring and be bold and to try to address this as much as possible to find very effective ways to benefit the poor, which we all claim we're concerned about. I mean, from a religious standpoint myself, we all talk about the key aspects of social justice and how the poor will suffer the first and primary ramifications of climate change, while at the same time they themselves are not responsible for the historical emissions that the that are causing the problem in the first place. And then at the same time, we are losing biodiversity at a phenomenal rate. The current extinction levels are anywhere between 1,000 and 10,000 times what they should be. And I think we bear a responsibility of that in this current generation to try to develop solutions that address both poverty, and if that's not addressed, we can 
forget anything else we do in terms of conservation, because people looking out for their own livelihoods will grasp the immediacy of their needs and, and not be able to invest in the future. And so if we want to leave them uh, a planet that is socially just, fair to the poor, and still has a wonderful array of species on it, um, both for our benefit and for the greater benefit of the, the planet itself, then we need to, to find ways of doing things and models for doing things that are effective and fair and balanced. Now, the challenge is getting your message out, and I'm just curious how it is that you're, you're getting the, your efforts out to the world. How can people learn more about this? What can they do? What could they be reading, for example, or paying attention to, to be sure that they're fa- following what CI is doing? Well, this program is one of them, so I thank you very much for the opportunity to do it. Anytime. And our, also, we, we have a lot of information out there. Um, Conservation International has a, a lot of good websites that are linked to our primary website, www.conservation.org, and you can see much of the work that CI is doing. We are, have a cadre of excellent scientists in our Center for Applied Biodiversity Science, and they work down the hall for me, and they are very much looking at and uh, leading the cutting edge of science to address this issue. We have uh, the Center for Environmental Leadership in Business, which is an attempt to leverage the role and responsibility of businesses in uh, preserving this planet for the future and working with them to develop standards and market-based approaches to conservation. And so they, they can play a role. So it's that social responsible, triple bottom line approach to, to doing business. And then we like to think that our Center for Environmental Leadership uh, in business is not averse to taking on the, the very large corporations, the ones that have a lot of purchasing power, and demonstrating that if they can do it, anybody can do it. It's so fascinating to, th- to think of the, the coalition that is forming around this effort uh, to do the right thing at this time, particularly as it, as it reaches around the world. Within the United States itself, are churches becoming involved? Very much so. I think uh, you're seeing the growing awareness of what we're facing, not just for climate change, but species loss in general. And very quickly, we're breaking down these silos and between what's an environmental issue, what's a, a poverty issue, uh, what's social justice. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of learning that has to go on with that. But they, we have a, can seize the opportunity to learn from that and really take a much more comprehensive approach to dealing with these issues. The unfortunate thing is we've always treated certain issues as, oh, those are environmental issues. So why are we worried about that? We're, we're for economic growth or we're for development or we're for humanitarian relief. And I come from many of those different areas of work. And for me, I see the interrelatedness of all of them. They're interlinked. You cannot deal with one without dealing with the other one. And so it's very important to seize this opportunity to make the connection and to realize some of these things are not just environmental issues. Climate change is not an environmental issue. It speaks to the type of planet we want to leave for our children. And nor is things like species loss or uh, degradation of ecosystems. It's easy to treat them as environmental issues because the environmentalists have been the ones raising the alarm about them. But increasingly, this is an issue that relates to all of us. Now, the importance of involving the religious community is that they can bring their moral authority to the task. Much like the example I used of Wilberforce, much like the example of our own civil rights movement, much like the example of apartheid in South Africa, it was the faith community 
that has the wherewithal and the ability to see the long-term perspective and to dedicate themselves. It is very hard, and I'll admit this, I live and work in Washington, D.C. I can just take a look at uh, this big dome building and see the difficulties it is for a political person to make a commitment that will uh, render benefits in the next 10 years, next 20 years, next 50 years. The time period for our, our children and our grandchildren when they're worried about the next election in two years, four years, or six years' time. And so, and similarly, our, our companies themselves are faced with issues of the next quarter, next uh, fiscal year. It's hard for them to think in terms of those longer schemes of things. Fortunately, you have progressive people, both in the Congress and the Senate, progressive people in businesses that are thinking in those terms and can provide an example to the rest of us. The advantage of the faith community is it's always thought in long, long-term times. It's always been able to voice its moral authority and bring that moral authority based on their own sacred writings, whether they be the Christian's Holy Bible or the Muslim's Holy Quran. And it is that longer-term perspective that can oftentimes, in my opinion, trump some of the political arguments and some of the economic ar- arguments because they can make us sit back and think, what is the socially just thing to do? We look to a world of uh, peace and sustainability. Uh, that is really what we need to work for as much as we can. The vision of a happy people around the world living in balance with their environment, living in balance with, with each other, is truly the basis and the foundation of what I would consider to be faith-based concepts. Uh, we must create as much as we can fairness, justice, sustainability, and peace. Uh, ben Campbell, Director of the Faith-Based Initiative with Conservation International, I want to thank you and invite you to tell people how they can find out more about your work. Well, for one thing, it is on our website, and please do check that out. We work with a number of partners, and I'd, I'd love to be able to credit all of them for their excellent work, but you can find their links on our webpage as well. And I'd like to point out, it's something that CI doesn't do itself. We are very much a partnering organization. If you have a good idea and work in one of our hotspots or work in an environmental issue, we'd be very happy and willing to talk to you. Ben Campbell, Director of Faith-Based Initiative with Conservation International, thank you so much for adding your voice here on the Wild Side News. Thank you. In all fairness, we could talk with Ben Campbell for another four hours. He is a man of extraordinary depth and devotion to the earth, the people of the earth, and our future. I look forward to talking with Ben Campbell throughout the years ahead. Thank God we were provided with vision and the wisdom to use it. Turn up the light as we head into our new world. This is Sidney Wildsmith saying adios until we meet again. Each Tuesday or anytime on the archives when your voice of the earth sings out around the world. Here on the Wild Side News.